Acts, and I'm going to read the text for Pastor Gina this morning. We're in Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 17, and I'd like to just recap really briefly before I read the text. What page? 1697 in the, the blue Bibles that are in the chairs. The church is the spiritual body of Jesus Christ on earth. Those who've come to faith in Jesus, who have been forgiven, taken into the family of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and are now representing Jesus Christ on earth. And so we've seen in the first four chapters of Acts, three outpourings of God's Holy Spirit, where, the, where we've seen two things together. Holiness and purity and prayerfulness and power. The church has been set apart as God's people and God makes them holy, pure, loving, unified. And the church is empowered to keep proclaiming Jesus Christ is King. He's Lord This is the gospel. He's Lord, and he calls for all allegiance. He must be followed and obeyed. The Bible says, one day, every tongue will confess he is Lord. Every knee will bow. And so here's this fledgling church in the middle of the Roman Empire, in the middle of a lot of persecution, saying, Jesus is Lord. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And what happened right before our text is... Two things. One, somebody tried to introduce something into the body of Christ that wasn't of Christ. That was deception. Their names were Ananias and Sapphira, and they got dropped dead in the middle of the church. And there was great reverence for God because we heard deception's not not welcome in the body of Christ. There's no pretending. Then we saw that instead of... um, functioning to slow down the growth of the church, actually, that sped it up. People were attracted to the church, and the church continued to grow in leaps and bounds. And last week we heard that the apostles performed many signs, many wonders, and that uh, it was just normal for them to lead people to Jesus, to uh, deliver people from evil or unclean spirits, and to bring healing in the name of Jesus. This was normal. This is what happened next. So here's the last verse from last time. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail And brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail. 
for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing at the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand, own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah or the saving one. All mean the same thing. Amen. God's word. Someone shared a story with me, and they thought that it would be of interest 
particularly because we have a niece and a nephew and two little great nieces that are in Papua New Guinea right now that are studying to be able to translate God's word to an unreached people group. And the story that was shared with me was about a family that was actually in Papua New Guinea that was doing that very work of translating the Bible. And the story was that um, as they shared from Genesis on that the um, people had some interest, they had to learn the tribal language and then figure out how to translate. What does this word mean? What does this word mean? And uh, translate the Bible. And so they got to the New Testament and they heard about Jesus. And then they heard about his death and his resurrection. And then they heard about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the believers. And that little um, house where they were doing the translation there had been two tribal people, and then they were starting to tell the story that they were hearing from the Bible to others. And so then there were four people that came, and then there were six. And before long, there were about 40 people that were there. And they were listening as um, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and the church was filled with power. And the very same miracles and the very same authority that Jesus had lived in, the church was living in. And they loved heroes. And so they were like, yay! Oh, the blind were healed and the lame are walking. Yes, yes! And the church just was excited to hear every day. And you know, it's a slow process to translate. But they would come and listen because they were excited to hear what would happen. And so they got to this part of the story and, oh, they were bold in their faith and they were teaching Yay! Oh, they were put in prison. Hmm, what's going to happen? And an angel comes and they're released. Yay! And then they're brought before the Sanhedrin. Hmm, what's going to happen? Oh, and then they're told not to speak in this name anymore. Oh, and then they're flogged. Well, what does flogged mean? And I imagine that took some translation, but that meant that they had gotten such a severe beating it was maybe one stroke less than death so 39 lashes severe severe punishment and the people of Papua New Guinea the tribe didn't understand this why would this happen these are the heroes and where's the they had a word for it like beta or something like that where's the gusto where's the power now Where's the honor in being disgraced? What has happened? And they, they, in this book, in this story, they said that they left one by one, discouraged. And they really wanted to keep on translating, but translating is a slow process, so they needed to come back the next day. And not everybody came back to hear the rest of the story. But the story goes on and says that they went Boldly from house to house, they couldn't stop talking about this Jesus. And then in the very next section that we'll get into next week, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, you see, there God had purpose. And he continued to grow the church despite the persecution. He allowed the persecution for a particular purpose. But you see, when we're just learning about God's way, sometimes we forget about this kingdom clash. You know, we think, oh, we're, we are hearing about a battle 
But actually, do battles always go one-sided? No. I mean, there's two opposing forces. And what we have here is we have the kingdom of darkness that has entrapped people because of our own sin. And then there's a merciful God who's brought and called out a people that they would come and share the good news of Jesus and his love. and But that's a kingdom clash. And so what I want to just very simply lay out for you this morning is some of the expectations, because expectations really determine how we function and how we act. And so I want to contrast the expectations of the Sadducees with the expectations of God's followers. The Sadducees were um, legal experts in the law. They were the wealthier between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they were highly unpopular. And they tended to be, they were trying to float this thing of like coexist with Rome and trying to get a position of power in the way that they were trying to leverage their um, status as God's people, but with under the Roman Empire. And these were their expectations or their thoughts. They denied God's involvement in everyday life. They didn't expect God to be involved in everyday life. They denied a resurrection, so it was absurd to them to think that Jesus could have risen from the dead. Just like these people in Papua New Guinea, they didn't understand some of these concepts. And for us, too, we have to have our eyes opened to these concepts. But they denied resurrection. They denied the afterlife. And they denied the spiritual realm. So angels and demons, that was not in their worldview. This is not unlike many people in America today. In our culture, we see many of these same understandings or thoughts or expectations. Now, to contrast with the Sadducees, I want to talk about God's people and what were their expectations. They expected that God was going to be very present and active in their life. We talked about that last week. They expected that God would use them, that he would help them. They expected manifestations of God's kingdom. Do you remember what that word manifestations mean? A display, that God's kingdom would be exhibited in some way. His power, his might, his intelligence would be displayed in some way. And also, God, God's people were expecting the glory of God and great, great joy. Because they had a relationship with him. And they were living to see him glorified on earth and to enjoy him forever. Now, going to contrast the kingdom of darkness, which was manifesting in some ways through these Sadducees, and the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of darkness with the Sadducees, what we saw is we see that they're concerned about, their focus is on a position And their focus is on power. And so when that position gets rattled, when all of a sudden these these people that are professing Jesus are having great following, their position of authority is being threatened. And so they're jealous, and it says they're fearful. They didn't want the mobs to stone them because they knew how popular these disciples of Jesus were. And so... They were focused on position and power, and they were very threatened, and they were jealous. Now, the kingdom of God, the disciples, they were focused on Jesus. They weren't trying to get a position. They already knew 
what their position was as a beloved child. Remember the baptism we saw? Andrew holding the baby? They knew that they already had a secure position. They were focused on Jesus. And because they were, had this relationship, the kingdom, the king gave them authority. And so when, when they spoke, they spoke with great authority because it came straight from Jesus. And they had faith. They were not fearful. There was fear over here, and there's boldness and faith over here. All right, the strategy of the Sadducees is they want to shut this thing down. And how is the quickest way they can shut them down? Send them to prison. Just put them over there and shut this down. That was the kingdom of darkness. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Working through the Sadducees, trying to shut down the the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happens over here? They're released. The angel of the Lord shows up. And remember, Jesus had said when he was, um, when he came in for his first speech, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news, to bring release from captives. Well, this actually physically was happening. They were held captive in a jail and boom, they're released. The enemy's trying to shut them down and God brings release and opens the way for the good news to go forward. They tell them, shut up. They give a mandate and they try to intimidate. They say, don't ever speak again in this name. Don't ever speak in this name. And so they gave a mandate and then they tried to intimidate by giving the harshest kind of punishment, this flogging. Don't ever speak again. Well, what happens when you love the Lord with all your heart and when you're filled not with your own strength to speak and not with your own boldness, but do you remember back in chapter 4 where they gathered and they prayed, Lord, fill us, make us be bold, make us be bold. Let's see what that, exactly that prayer that they prayed. Let's look at that. Chapter 4. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say that? Filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. All right, so the enemy is trying to get them to shut up and the Holy Spirit just puts the name of Jesus on their mouth and they will not be quiet. Everywhere they go, they're telling the good news of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know what he did for me? He saved me from my sins. He cleansed me. He knew everything I had done and he forgave me and he loved me. He loved me. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? They could not be quiet. They went where he told him to go. They got it. They were trying to shut them down and put them in prison. They got released. And what did God tell them to do? Go right back out there into the temple courts and teach. Go back out there and speak. Because it's such good news. God loved the Sadducees, you see. God loved the Romans. 
How is the good news going to get to them unless somebody brings it? Right? And so God is sovereign over this thing. And so if he, in his wisdom, entrusts us with the privilege of suffering for him for a bit, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because we know the end of the story. We know that there was creation and there was fall and there's redemption in Jesus and he's coming again and he's going to make all things new. And who will be able to enjoy that? The ones who know Jesus, who have Jesus on their lips, who have Jesus and his spirit in their hearts. And you see, so they were so bold. They were so bold. And I believe the Lord looks at us today. And I believe he looks at his church and he says, do you hear the wisdom in this passage? Do you hear this? What I caused this person to stand up and say, because I recorded it for you. If this is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Do you see? We are on the winning side. If we have Jesus in our hearts, if we know that he has done this good thing for us, he's going to help us. And in the end, he's going to win. And he's going to have his word go century after century, year after year, spreading the good news until every people group, every tongue and tribe has had the opportunity to hear this great news. God's kingdom is unstoppable. It's eternal, all-powerful. And he invites us to be his conduits of love, to be his mouthpieces on earth. They rejoiced that they were worthy of suffering for his name's sake. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes we need a little correction in our thinking because I think we get kind of like the Sadducees. They kind of just got stuck in this like, well, there's nothing more than just this life. Friends, there is so much more. We have eternal life to look forward to. And so if there's a brief and momentary point where we're, invited into suffering for Christ, there's going to be such joy in the fact that we're going to be able to look to our Father and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to tell you this week as I was preparing, I was thinking about has this happened and how has this happened over the years and down through the history. And I read a little bit about, now I'm going to John Bunyan, I was going to say Paul Bunyan. I knew that would be a mistake. (laughs) All right. John Bunyan, a pastor, a preacher in the 1600s. All right. He, his dad was just a common, um, they called him a tinkerer. Have you ever heard of tinkering around? Well, did you know that actually comes from back in the English where they were actually kind of like a handyman? Just if... But it was a very poor occupation, and he just learned this trade from his dad. But then one day he was walking down the street, and he heard some women talking about spiritual things, and he kind of got drawn into the conversation. And then through a series of events in his life, he came to know Jesus, and he just couldn't stop talking about him, and he felt compelled to preach. 
Well, he started to preach and he started to share the good news of Jesus. But there were some people within the church and the church at that time was also connected with the government. And they didn't like that, that this was an unauthorized person. And so they compelled, they told him, stop, be quiet. Don't do that anymore. Well, he didn't stop, and so then they put him in jail, all right? Do you see this thing? Like, there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy just tries these things and tries to shut down and tries to shut up, and God brings release, and he gives courage and boldness to keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so what happens? He's in. He's got four kids. One of them is blind, and he gets put in prison, and they said, if you will just... Stop preaching. We will let you out. And he says, no. Well, part, and he's got his Bible and he can write. And that's when he wrote, began Pilgrim's Progress was while he was um, sitting in prison. I guess partway through, they let him out. I don't know. They felt a little lenient. And I found it interesting that what he did was he went home and he loved his wife and he had a new baby. And he also went out and preached the word. And I imagine he had new spiritual babies. And they put him right back in prison. He would not be quiet. And I want to ask us, and I believe the Lord is calling us, will you speak up for me? Will you be bold for me? Friends, as I look around our nation, I see that there are problems, and you do too. We see a problem with racism. And somebody taking a knee for it. And then suddenly there's a movement. We see a problem with gun violence. And we see somebody, just a small little school, say we're going to walk out. And we see a movement start. And I believe the Lord is looking and he's saying, these are symptoms, racism, violence. These are symptoms Will somebody go and speak the name of Jesus and give them the real solutions? Will we take a knee in prayer? Will we say, come and fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to speak boldly? Will we take a knee? Will we walk out? Will we walk out of this building? Will we walk out of our church? And will we go tell the good news of Jesus Christ wherever he leads us? I have a feel, I just have this feeling, I have a feeling that there is such a time as this that he is calling the church to rise up. If he could do this with a little group of disciples and it's carried on for all these thousands of years, what could he do with this little church? At this time in our history, there is a revival movement. We're praying. We're taking a knee and we're praying, come Holy Spirit. Will we be cooperating and participating in wherever he sends us and wherever he calls us to go? Because each of you is in a different place. Wherever you are, Tammy, at your apartment, how is he calling you to speak boldly about Jesus? Vic, at the trailer, you're in a new spot. You got new people to talk to. Yeah? Yeah. Are you ready to speak? I'm going to draw it to basketball. This is dangerous. But wasn't it amazing when I heard 
that the 16th seat overturned the first seat, right? Like that there was this made, yes? Did anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Somebody that was not expected to overcome, overcomes and wins. I feel like that sometimes the world looks at the church and thinks it's that little last rank. But there is a time coming. And we are going to overcome. Because we are more than overcomers in Christ. I believe that there's going to be signs and wonders. Some of you stayed up late to watch the basketball game. I did not, but Dane told me about it. All right? Michigan, last three seconds, a three-pointer, boom, and they win. I believe signs and wonders will follow. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I believe he's going to have the church shooting some three-pointers. We're going to be doing stuff that nobody thought, including us, we just didn't even know was going to happen. It's going to be good. It's going to be hard. But God's going to be faithful. He wants to do this. He wants to have Jesus' name proclaimed far and near. And he's inviting us. Will you pray and will you be willing to cooperate with me? I want to do mighty things through you. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us, that you would give us eternity in our minds. Lord, that we wouldn't be living just for the here and now, but Lord, that we would have the big, long picture and the good, good reunion that we have to anticipate with you. And Lord, let us be bold for you. Let us be courageous, not in our own strength, but, Lord, in your Holy Spirit strength, in your Holy Spirit boldness. Lord, would you do signs and wonders and miracles to to bring glory to yourself and to change people's worldviews, Lord? Some of those Sadducees must have looked on and said, oh, you're right, we can't stop this, and we don't want to fight against God. And, Lord, I pray that... We don't know all the rest of the story of all these Sadducees that did this, but, Lord, I pray that they were converted. And, Lord, I pray that our enemies, even right now, those enemies of yours and enemies of the Church of Jesus Christ, I pray for their conversion right now. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness to take your word to our homes, to our workplaces, to our friends, to the ends of the earth, to Papua New Guinea, to South America, Lord, to Africa, to Australia, to New Zealand, to wherever you would send us, Lord, in this whole big world of yours. Lord, let us be your mouthpieces. Fill it with truth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.